Father, we come before you this morning with a uh, passage that was written by Solomon and that was given to us as um, over the ages as it was handed down. And this passage, uh, it, it was a meaningful passage um, to the people of Israel. And uh, Father, this morning as we take a look at it, I ask that uh, you would allow for this to be meaningful in our hearts, that you would lead us, that you would um, give us understanding. Father, I pray that uh, you would allow for, uh, for me to be able to uh, speak of these things that you would want me to speak of this morning and that they would be uh, received as you would want them to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this, uh, this passage is, uh, <laughs> I was thinking about this yesterday. I was, I was preparing and uh, I decided to kind of lock myself into the church office yesterday and, and just kind of spend the day there quietly um, to study and, and kind of keep moving through things. And right about the middle of the day, um, something very interesting started to happen right outside the church office there. And I, and I was just kind of like, what is all this noise that's going on outside? So I, uh, I turned, uh, looked out the window there, and I see a big fire truck. Uh, had pulled up right in front of the church office. And uh, this fire truck, uh, you know, it's like the hook and ladder truck, and so these guys are like getting all the stuff out and, you know, getting the, the base set up, and pretty soon here comes the ladder and it's being turned and the lights are on the truck and everything. And, and I'm kind of wondering, like, what is going on here? Why are these guys out here? And so <laughs> the ladder goes up and I see one fireman starting to climb up the ladder and He's got one of those big, giant power saws, you know, that's like 60 pounds, okay? And he's going up with this thing, and there comes a second fireman, and he's got these picks with him. And, um, and I'm looking around, I'm going, well, I don't see any other fire trucks. This, you know, what, what's going on up on the roof that they need to take this stuff with them? And um, then I see a third fireman go up, and all three of them, of course, had on their full gear, their hat, their... Um, tanks and everything, and I'm, and I'm the only one in the building, okay? So I'm like, should I be evacuating right now? Um, so I did evacuate uh, just to be safe, and I uh, walked outside and noticed that these guys are just kind of standing up there talking, and I could hear, I went back in for a while too to kind of be right underneath the area where they were, and you could hear all this noise from up there as they were moving around, and they were there probably for about an hour, and then they came down, and um, I just kind of was like, oh, this is kind of interesting because this psalm here is talking about things being built and how they're built. And I'm watching and I'm going, yeah, I wonder about this building here now. And I was hearing a bunch of noises after they left. But I think everything was fine. I did think about sending Pastor Rod a picture of the fire truck in front, lights on and everything there. And, you know, I don't think you'll have an office, Pastor Rod, when you get back uh, kind of thing. But I decided not to. Um, so... That was kind of uh, a little bit of my day yesterday, and then um, as I was uh, still working on things, I um, kind of was, was feeling like, you know, Lord, you're using this passage in my life right now. You're really using this on me to just kind of get me to think a little bit about uh, what it is that you really want to have happen in my life through this. And so, um, it's a common thing that happens, though, right? I mean, that's what the Word of God should do. It, it should cause us to feel like, you know, when I, whenever I read it, that God is going to use what is there in our lives. Um, and today, this text that we're looking at from Psalm 127 was written, of course, by Solomon, King David's son. And Solomon is known as the wise king of Israel, um, in fact, as scripture we'll, we'll see a little bit later, I mean, he's considered to be the wisest man. He was King David's son, as I said. And this is one of 15 psalms of ascent um, in, the, in the book of Psalms. And um, I'm going to just kind of back it up a bit here. Um, and what, what's going on here is that these 15 psalms of ascent, they start with number 120 and ends with 134. And so Psalm 127 is right in the middle there. It's the middle psalm of ascent. And actually, these the psalms were sung, so you'll, you'll notice that it probably says they're a song of ascent, 
because it was common for the Jewish people to actually sing these as they were on their pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem. And so, um, as I was kind of studying the history of these psalms, um, I was thinking, you know, there's, there's something that's going on here through them. And so I didn't just take a look at Psalm 127 by itself. I needed to take a look at all the psalms of ascent to begin to understand what was happening. Um, they're especially meaningful, though, later to Jewish history and to the Jews because the Jews were coming out of exile when they started to sing these. Even though Solomon wrote this earlier, um, as the priests put everything together, these, these songs here for their people, it was so that when they were on their pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem, they could sing these. And so, um, for instance, uh, as we talked about in the book of Nehemiah last year, and as people would return, they would go up to Jerusalem and they would be there for the Feast of Booths and so forth. And, and so this was kind of a, a big journey that you would go on. And so here you have 15 psalms that you could sing as you went along. Um, perhaps you recall the, uh, the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago. And uh, before they sang the national anthem, they uh, had somebody sing America the Beautiful. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, having sort of these national songs that you would have in place for your people. And especially, though, for the Jews, because, as I said, they're coming out of exile during this time. And so in God's providence, what he was doing was these psalms were written in such a way that it gave hope to the people of Israel as they were journeying. Because if you recall, Jerusalem was a mess. It was just ravished completely. Um, the uh, Babylonians had taken everything from there, all the gold, the silver, etc. Everything had been taken. The temple was uh, destroyed, and it was a way in which to humiliate um, their opponents. And so in this case, it was the Jews. And the result was that now God was using these psalms for them as they would journey back to Jerusalem. And um, in fact, let me just say this, that the, with the word ascend, it really means to kind of step up or to come out. And so these psalms envision the day when all the Jews would completely, would become completely out of the foreign exile, and Israel would be restored to dominance over all of their enemies. And so um, in these psalms, hope is placed on the deliverance that the Messiah would bring in rescuing his people from their captivity and restoring Jerusalem to glory and peace. So listen to some of the titles that are given, and if you want, you can take a look in your Bible, starting with Psalm 120. But listen to these titles that are given to these various psalms, just to kind of get a, a sense or a picture of what is happening here. Psalm 120 is titled, Deliver Me, O God, Coming Out of Exile. Psalm 121, My Help Comes from the Lord. Psalm 122, Let Us Go to the House of the Lord. Psalm 123, our eyes look to the Lord our God. Psalm 124, our help is in the name of the Lord. Psalm 125, the Lord surrounds his people. Just kind of remember these in the sense that you're walking together with people and you're singing these, you're with your family as you're walking up towards Jerusalem. Psalm 126, restore our fortunes, O Lord. Psalm 127, the one we'll be looking at today, unless the Lord builds the house. Psalm 128, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Psalm 129, they have afflicted me from my youth. Psalm 130, my soul waits for the Lord. Psalm 131, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Psalm 132, the Lord has chosen Zion. Psalm 133, when brothers dwell in unity. In Psalm 134, come bless the Lord. Now, there's a growing crescendo that's in these psalms. It starts with a crying distress for deliverance first. So it starts out very softly in that regard. But there's a growing crescendo. And when the psalms of ascent move to seeing the Lord, removing them from bondage and restoring the fortunes of his people while they wait peacefully, the crescendo then continues to grow as the psalms of ascent move into the hope of the covenant God made to David and his people. And you can imagine that for the Jews, this was 
very important to them to be able to recall that God had made that covenant with these people, with his people, to restore them and to keep one from David's line on the throne forever. And then the crescendo grows to a deafening tone with the last two psalms of ascent, focusing on the unity of Jewish brothers worshiping together on the mountains of Zion and the blessings of the Lord going out from Zion to all who serve the Lord. I'm not sure how that makes you feel, but friends, listen, these psalms of ascent, they brought me a lot of joy when I read through them because it gives us a glimpse of the gospel message in 15 short chapters there. It's about the great redeemer who will not and cannot be defeated. It's about the great redeemer who calls us his own possession now. And what a great hope and comfort we have today and forevermore when we think about it that way. So uh, we're gonna kind of uh, jump into a few things here just looking at Psalm 127 now. And so um, the first part of this really is that, um, and I'm gonna just kind of put the, whole thing up here for this first section here that we're going to be taking a look at. Um, Today we're going to look at um, this psalm that is titled, Unless the Lord Builds the House. And the context that I just shared helps us to understand that this psalm, which was written by Solomon, was placed here to remind God's people of the need to let God be God as ordinary life is lived. And the song was about the most basic things that make up our lives And the stuff that we think about quietly and openly. It's about working hard and and having a family. And more precisely, it's about building a house, a city. It's about work and family. And so who's better to speak on such things than Solomon, who is known as the wise king? And undoubtedly, you've heard the words vain and toil in the passage as it was read a little while ago. And so your memory may have gone back to the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon wrote about the vanity of vanities and about toiling under the sun. But please understand, this is not a song of sorrow, okay? It is a song of wisdom that is given for our lives. Uh, Generally, we we give a proposition or something to think about for this uh, chapter here. And so let me share with you what I've come up with. And that is this, the theme overall is Dependence on God's economy for our lives brings blessings and honor. Once again, dependence on God's economy for our lives brings blessings and honor. And this psalm begins with a phrase that's pretty easy to remember if you're trying to memorize verses, but hard to remember when it comes to the way we live life on an everyday basis. And so King Solomon states here in the very beginning that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. See, building a house represented the most basic part of life, and yet Solomon starts out by declaring that your efforts to build a house without God's help is nothing short of a practice in futility. It kind of made me think about what it says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 27. Where Jesus said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell." And great was the fall of it. These words given by Jesus reiterated what Solomon declared about making sure that you don't go through a practice and futility as you live life. There's much laboring that takes place in life, and unfortunately, we sometimes find ourselves running in circles, and we aren't getting anything accomplished, it seems like. In other words, while we think we are good moral people in many ways, we have failed to truly trust God to be the foundation and the rock of our homes. I would ask you, can you imagine the conversations that these Jewish people must have had as they traveled to Jerusalem, as they were reciting these words, these, singing these songs? And in between there, they probably stopped and they talked about the very things that we talk about quite a bit by ourselves. And maybe you heard some of this today, well, even while we were 
um, having a little coffee and, and time to, to share with each other. But I would imagine that one of the topics that probably came up for the men and women um, are do-it-yourself projects, right? Anybody in here doing a do-it-yourself project, a DIY right now? Oh, good. We have a lot of peace right now. For just a few people. Okay. Um, you know, their DIYs, though, probably included the actual building of their own homes. Now, I don't know if anybody in here would take that on, okay, as a do-it-yourself. I was surprised, and I was watching something that there was a, uh, a lady who did this in, I think it was in Alabama, and uh, she used YouTube to build an entire house. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> she built the entire house. She bought a piece of land, and she had four kids, and they built a house together. It took them about six years, but they finished it. You can imagine these men and women chatting about the physical materials that they use to build a home to withstand the elements that would provide shelter for their growing families and to care for their elderly parents and grandparents. As these people were coming back into the land, this is what their lives were like. And so these were the things they talked about. And, and of course, families lived together. Generations lived together. And so you can imagine, and some of us are going through that right now, trying to figure out you know, how we're going to take care of our parents. And maybe there are projects going on like that. But this is probably some of the conversations they had. Our lives are very much like that today. We talk about these things. But let me ask you to consider the most important question regarding your house. On what foundation have you placed all your efforts on? Are there times where your labor at home feels empty and unfulfilling? There's a much greater picture to consider other than just the physical labor for a house. It is the dependency upon the Lord to build a house for you. And I know our lives are busy. If you won't come into my office at home, I won't go into yours because the papers are stacked, right? The extra stuff that we have that we need to kind of put away. And all those things can keep us really busy, by the way. They really can. But one of the things that we're being told here is that there is something that is far more important than just being busy about building a house. It's about the dependency that we have upon the Lord. When I was a child growing up, I can recall hearing a story from my father that was absolutely incredulous when he told us. My brother and I, uh, I was probably about nine and he was probably about uh, six or so. And um, my father was... Uh, he was telling that when he was a young man, probably around his uh, late, probably about 17, 16 or 17, 18 years old, he said, um, that um, he was stepping into a phone booth to make a phone call. I know, for those of you that have never seen one, they really did exist, okay? All right? They did exist before cell phones, all right? I just want you to know. And my dad said that as he stepped in there, that he looked down and he saw a paper bag in the corner and opened it. Just paper bag was there, and it's like, that's kind of strange paper bag in here. He opens it up, and in it, he says, I found lots of money. And uh, that would have probably allowed him to be very happy for quite a while. Of course, my brother and I were absolutely mortified to find out that he didn't keep any of it, <laughs> and that he called the police, actually, to turn it in. Those days, police officers were actually walking on the streets, so he didn't have to actually make a phone call, he just called to the police officer that was walking around. And somehow, I guess my brother and I thought that perhaps that money would have made our lives better if he had kept it or received some reward for doing the right thing. Because our question was, you didn't keep any of it? Did you get a reward at least? No. Did you ever find out what happened? Nope. The answer my dad gave us was that, you know what? I didn't need a reward for doing an honest act here. I didn't, I didn't need anything. I, didn't, I you know, didn't look for it. And then he also told us something that was very important. And that was, and, neither, and, and I was not incriminated in the process either. Because I just found a bag and I gave it. I didn't need it. What my dad was teaching us was that you don't build your home on your own wisdom. Because I can tell you this. My wisdom would have been, as a child, obviously, put the, take that money with you, right? If 
Find out where you can spend it right away. Don't build your home on your own wisdom. Let God build it for you with his wisdom instead is what my dad was teaching us. And so whether you're married or single, remember that unless you rely upon God, your efforts for all that you're doing in life is simply going to be in vain. Hey, you're going to be doing stuff, but the question will be, what happens in the end with all of this? Sometimes we believe that God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard that? But that's not God's way, is it? Our God is not just a moral being that exists apart from us. He is the one who builds homes for people who are firmly planted in his truth. And the home he wants to build for us can sustain us when things are crumbling in life. That's the good news there when we build on him. Maybe you came here this morning doubting God's ability to keep your home intact. And my friends, the question is not whether God can do this. It's whether you have placed him first and removed yourself from being first. So whether you're living under the roof of parents or living on your own, are you letting God build your home this morning? The second, uh, there's a second conditional phrase that comes up here. The first one started with unless here. And as we take a look at uh, this next one here, it's about who watches and protects the city. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. As we are well aware, the ancient cities were built with walls and gates to protect them. However, there was a constant need to have a watchman day and night. It just seems so foreign to us, doesn't it? We live in California here, and none of us have any concern about those kinds of things, do we? Um, but in those days, that's the way it was. In particular, though Jerusalem was a great city, and the Bible tells us how Solomon had such great wealth that was being transported into the city from many different places. Can you imagine how many watchmen he must have had? Just think about that for a second. Some estimates uh, say that um, just from the gold alone that he was bringing in every year, just the gold, that it was over a billion dollars. That's just the gold. I was kind of go like, wow, that's a lot. And then not to mention all the other stuff that he was bringing in, the ivory, the the cedars, the uh, silver, the bronze, etc., that was all coming in. The city was filled with gold, silver, precious gems, and lumber for its building projects. How many watchmen must he have had for this city? And so when he writes this here, it's so that we can understand from Scripture that it is God who has blessed him and has given protection and Solomon was then able to build the wealthiest kingdom in his day. But the question for us to really take a look at right now is why did God give him so much favor? Why was God willing to do this? And the answer lies in 1 Kings chapter 3. So if you'd like, you can turn there. 1 Kings chapter 3, starting with verse 3 through 14. And in this section, it starts out with the words that say this, Solomon loved the Lord. He loved God. When I think of this, I go, this is like the first statement that describes his relationship with God. He loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. So he learned from his father. But he went to the great high place to go offer his offerings. And Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on the altar there at Gibeon. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. Because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. By the way, he's in age, he's not a little child. But in knowledge here, he's saying, I'm but a little child. This job is going to be enormous before me to be a king. Seems like he was, may, may have been the youngest of sons here. 
I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? Well, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before, has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. As Solomon began his reign as king, he relied on the Lord to protect the city and the people. And God gave Solomon a wise and discerning mind for what he needed to do, but God also gave him protection for a long life. And you know this, that if you've been here for a while with us, um, that the lives of the kings was filled with treachery, wasn't it? Um, just as we've studied over the last year or so from First um, and Second Samuel, we have uh, seen how the monarchies of Saul and David were filled with so much danger, and that Solomon could not have reigned over Israel for 40 years without the protection of the Lord over the city and kingdom. No amount of human protection could guard the city if God didn't protect them. And just so that we understand this clearly, you know, later on, as Solomon turns away from the Lord, the Lord says this, he says, you know what, I'm not going to remove, remove you from the throne. He says, but because you've turned away from me, what I am going to do is I'm going to then allow for the kingdom to be taken away from you for a while. And of course, that was the promise of going into exile, and of course, Eventually, as the Lord said, okay, you've turned away from me, Jerusalem did fall. It didn't matter how many watchmen they had. And even though Jerusalem is built up on, on a hill, they could not protect themselves without the Lord's protection there. The picture of protection is relevant to us because we really are no different. In fact, the more you have in life, the more protection you will seek, don't you? I would imagine that for most of us in here, we have multiple kinds of insurance, don't we? We've been blessed with quite a bit. I guess one of the questions for us to think about is, has there been vanity over the things you've been given by the Lord? Because that's one of the things that comes up here. Or perhaps the possessions that you own have turned your heart away from allowing God to be your protector. That's something I had to really think about. Sometimes we can kind of end up in great situations and these great things that are there kind of slowly just take all of our attention. And we give God just a little less, a little less, and a little less. Think about this. You get a new car. You drive it off the lot. And what are you really expecting when you drive it off the lot? Did you really think that it would remain in perfect condition? So you're driving on the highway, on the freeway, and uh, on the freeway, a rock flies off the back of a truck in front of you, striking your car, and now you're mad, right? You're mad that the car is, definitely has to be, it's damaged now, right? It's still fairly new to you, but you never think about the fact that the Lord protected you from harm. You're more concerned about the dent that's on this vehicle now. So in your unrighteous anger, you begin to zigzag through traffic, trying to chase down the truck to get justice, right? And eventually you realize that your unrighteous anger is nothing more than a pursuit in vanity. Friends, the story can be altered to 
whatever you're trying to protect yourself with uh, or protect yourself from with sinful pride. What it comes down to is that there's a sinful pride in us sometimes, and, and the result will always be the same. A great deal of anger will begin to consume us, and the reminder we need is that we need to rely on the Lord to be the one who protects us. You, you can't protect yourself completely. And, and I would just tell you this, that the possessions that we have oftentimes can change us very, very subtly, but in a huge way. And the people around us can see that. When our eyes are off the Lord, that is what happens. Verse 2 says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It's living life without the Lord. This is the practice of being in the rat race and yet never satisfied. Um, So let's identify what Solomon is not saying here and what he is saying. So first, what he is not saying is don't get up early or don't work late into the night. And I know what some of you in the room just kind of took that big sigh of relief, especially for the night owls that like to stay up late and do their work then. There's some of you in this room who are like, that's when I do my best work, staying up late. The verse is not identifying the hours we can work. Instead, it is identifying the reason you are working or toiling for in life. It is identified as desiring to eat the bread of anxious toil. And that can't taste very good. It really can't. In Genesis 3.17, God uses these words to describe Adam's remaining days on earth. He said, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The word cursed is the same thing as anxious toil in verse 2 of our text. And in case you're wondering, the remaining days for Adam were 930 years. That's a lot of days. 930 years to have to go through and say, all right, I'm doing the same thing every day, working under the sun. And that meant hard work. And Psalm 127 also echoes Solomon's words in the book of Ecclesiastes regarding toiling under the sun for the sake of vanity, just to get it. Have you seen the bumper sticker that says, uh, the person with the most toys in the end wins? I just kind of go like, wow, talk about vanity, right? What are we working for? What we see in verse 2, though, is that there is a way to be able to avoid eating the bread of anxious toil. In other words, God did not make us to work harder only to increase our pain and to get more stuff. God actually made us to rest in him. By belonging to the Lord, we avoid building, protecting, and toiling in vain. Matthew 6, 25 through 34, Jesus tells us not to be anxious about life. This is not an option. This is what Jesus commands. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And that just kind of gives us a sense of how much God cares for us. O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, it's taken me a while to kind of get to learning some of this stuff and practicing it. 
So as I'm sharing this with you, I want you to know, this is not an easy thing to do. I think all of us have these moments where we're worried about what's going to happen. And in fact, we work so hard, we kind of sometimes even drive ourselves into a lot of despair. We can work so hard to try to make things happen the way that we want them to happen. And in the end, we're still upset, we're dissatisfied, we're unhappy. Now, I don't think it can be explained any clearer than that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness to avoid building, protecting, and toiling in vain. So instead of being anxious, we are to rest, to go to sleep, and allow for God to be the one who provides. God does not want you to work longer or harder hours because the rainy days are coming and you have to do it all for yourself and by yourself. He has made you and he will provide for you because you are his own. That's what the text tells us. Students in the room, the same goes for you. Your motivation for what you are doing, you need to consider it. Why am I doing what I am doing? And for all of us, we need to consider, have we given God first place in everything that we're doing? Let's move to uh, verses 3 to 5 here. And in verses 3 to 5, we see God's economy at work in the topic of children. And Solomon gives us a perspective on children that is far different than what this world thinks of when we think about children. So this section is about receiving from the Lord. And it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So first off, I just want you to kind of think about this this way, that there are three benefits that we will see regarding children and what they do for us. Okay? And so far, so good. I don't have anybody nodding, saying no to me yet, so that's good. Okay, there are three benefits here. The first is they make you rich. Now you can nod if you'd like, okay? Um, they make you rich. Oh, it, it's just, it seems kind of weird. The passage uses the word heritage in the ESV, but in other translations, the word that is used is children are an inheritance from the Lord to his people. And in these few verses here, Solomon begins to cast God as a father who gives children, who gives his children an inheritance. And that inheritance that he gives is children. It seems kind of weird, right? It's not what you normally think of. So when God gives this reward to you, please understand, he's making you rich. I know. Children don't make me rich. They cost money, right? But once again, in God's economy, children are a monetary reward. It's a reward, it says. I'm giving this, giving them to you. This child is a gift. And to think about the fact that he's the only one that can give life, we begin to see that they are a reward for us. The way they make you rich is by what we see next in here. It is because they make you strong. I know. You're tired, right? At the end of the day, you put the little ones down. You've struggled for the last hour to make sure that they stayed in bed, right? You're exhausted. Dads, if you're like me, you're falling asleep in the front room there, just tired, and the kids are jumping all over you. And you're supposed to be watching them, right? I can remember that day where we came home from church one Sunday afternoon, and my thought was like, hey, go take a nap, I told Julie. We had one child at the time, Alicia. I'll watch her, no problem. So we're in the family room playing, and before you know it, I'm out. She's over by the fireplace trying to get into it. <laughs> I was doing a great job, right? <laughs> hey, the way they make you rich is because they make you strong. The word used to describe children in verse four is that they are like arrows. Notice it says, arrows. You're like, okay, so what does that mean? Does that mean we're like firing them off into good places here, etc.? Well, think of it this way. Arrows were the advanced weapon of the day that would be equivalent to modern-day bombs. Um, Arrows were designed to travel far distances, and they could be 
fatal by striking a person, or if they were flaming arrows, they could burn down your home or city. But the more arrows a warrior had, the more powerful that warrior could be. And so the idea here is that the more children God gives to you, the more powerful you would be. Take Jacob, for instance, okay? God blessed Jacob with a small army of children, didn't he, in the Bible? Um, And as they grew older, one of the things that we see about his sons is that they defended their father. When opposition was coming against their father, they wanted to make sure that their father was not treated unjustly. We see that when his children tried to defend them against, uh, against Laban, even. Um, and when their sister Tamar was violated by Shechem, they defended their family by killing all the men of Shechem. And so what we're seeing here is that, you know, even in, in our study of First and Second Samuel, and we take a look at King Saul's life, we see that his sons defended their father as well, didn't they? They worked right alongside. See, your children will grow up and they will make you stronger as they defend you. Now, um, we have a lot of educators in this room. And one thing that all the educators know in this room is that children will defend their parents if they feel that somebody is attacking their parents. If they feel that another child is insulting their parents, they're ready to go to battle to defend the family name right then and there. And uh, sometimes they come visit my office at school. The assistant principal, what's going on here? Oh, this was said about my mom or my dad and I just couldn't handle that. Well, as you get older in life, your grown children will defend you by caring for you and making sure that nobody takes advantage of you. And there's no better feeling for a mother or a father than to know that God has blessed you with such strength, is there? And some of you are there at that stage right now where your, your children are coming in and checking on you to see how you're doing. They are your strength. And when they walk into the house or they call you, it changes your entire day. Those of you who are just starting out with young children or are out of your parents' home, remember that. Okay? God wants you to be a source of strength for your parents. Third, your children will make you glad. It says in verse 5, blesses the man who fills his quiver with them. Notice the exclamation mark that is there. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Another way to look at this is that a man's descendants are his riches because he does not have to go about life alone in his old age. But let's not forget that all of this starts with a dependency on God's economy for life. God must be the one who establishes the house, the one who protects, and the one who provides. You know, everyone in here this morning, um, you represent a family. Um, As a son or a daughter, we have uh, parents, grandparents, and probably even some great-grandparents. How many great-grandparents do I have in here? Oh, that's wonderful to see. Families are households that need to be built by God. And let me just say this, and some of you may be hurting today because your house was not or is not being built by the Lord today. And maybe in the past that was the case. And you've come today wondering how you might be blessed by God. Verse 5 begins with these words, blessed is the man. And when I just kind of think about this, I think, you know, we want to be that man. So who is the blessed man in the book of Psalms? It's the man, or the woman in this case that we're going to talk about here, who chooses to walk in the ways of the Lord. You know, um, it's going to be important for us to be able to go home today and to be able to have a new perspective about um, family about children, if our perspective has been off, if we've not been trusting God. I'm not saying that everything's gonna just turn out great for you, okay? What I am saying is that unless the Lord is building that foundation, you're just spinning your wheels. 
It is important for us to make sure that the foundation for our homes is on God. But the Psalms also uses the same word about the blessed man to refer to Christ. And um, so in the book of uh, Psalms here, starting with chapter one, uh, we see that phrase that is used when it says at the beginning of Psalm one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. It says at the end in verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, the Psalms uses these words to refer to a man who is blessed, set apart by God, but also to remind us of the fact that there is one who is truly blessed. Um, And that is Christ. The reference here is to Christ. In fact, if we go on to Psalm 2, um, it tells us in there, it says, uh, starting in verse 7, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. In other words, he says to his own son, he says, I am going to give you an inheritance as well. This kind of made me think a little bit about, wow, we have a a king here uh, who is over all. And he's being given an inheritance by his father when he says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled and blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's you. That's me. Our refuge, if it's in him, we have nothing to fear, right? But someday, every knee will bow before him. This is the son that the psalm speaks about here. Jesus is the son that all the kings of the earth will bow bow down to. In Psalm 127, Solomon is asking us to behold another blessed man, that is Jesus, whose house is full of children. If you will turn in your Bibles to uh, Hebrews right now, chapter 2. And we'll look at verse 10. And it says, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Did you get that there? In bringing many sons to glory. that's, That's who we get to be. We get to be the sons of God here. The sons that are given to Jesus. And if we turn to uh, verse 13 in that same chapter, and it says, and again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children God has given me. We are his prized possession. As the children of God, he wants us. He's not concerned in the sense that you're taking away from him. You're not making Jesus poor. You are his Riches, you are his inheritance, as it tells us here in this passage. Let me uh, just kind of bring some of this to, to a place where we need to be with all of this. You see, the, the death of Christ secures our place in this house. And it was because Jesus was willing to go to the cross and to give himself up for us. As it says in John 17, 24, He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
And that's where he wants us to be with him someday. And so here's something that is, I think, going to be a little bit difficult for us maybe to think about. You see, this is the same way in which we need to be able to treat our children, right? To love our children. Um, there are some, some tough things that sometimes when we come home from a lot of busyness and other things that are going on in our lives, and, and our energy level is way down and our patience is way down, because you know what, either you've been at home all day with kids or you're at work and dealing with other people's demands, and the days are just getting longer and longer, it feels like. Remember, these are your reward. You are his reward. And so he treats us with great kindness and great love. Um, I just want to finish with a few thoughts here and um, ask for you to consider this in my concluding thoughts. Will you trust God to build your house? Will you trust him for that? Will you be willing to go ahead and to uh, build your family relationships on the foundation that will not erode? Will you pull out God's word and say, this is, this is what leads us and guides us right here? Secondly, are you anxiously toiling away and in need of God's rest? Keep a proper perspective on what you do daily and why you do it. You know, it, are you motivated for the kingdom of God and what you are doing? Is this really about you or is this about what God wants you to be doing? Thirdly, are your children your reward? You know, some practical things to do. As a parent, hug your kids, even your grown-up kids, and thank God for the privilege of having a family. I know that there are hard days out there, but we need to be able to thank God for the privilege of having a family. And then last, think of ways, parents, habits and methods of keeping the Lord central in your relationship with your children. Let me tell you something. It's, it's, some of you have gotten to that place with your children where you can have conversations about what the Lord is doing in the lives of your children. But I'm going to guess it wasn't always like that. And so I, I just want you to consider this, parents, that if, if you're going through a hard time right now, your kids don't really want to talk about the things of the Lord with you, don't give up. Don't stop talking about them. Pursue those things still. Think of different methods, ways, or habits that you can continue to do that. Allow for God to work there. The greatest joy that, that, um, that I have had directly with my parents is that when I walk into the house, that sometimes my parents will say, oh, let's pray together. There are times where they'll say, can we just read the scriptures together? And what joy that is. I know sometimes it kind of feels like, um, you know, why do we have to be so holy, so godly? It's not. It's who we are if we're God's children. I want to just close with a... Uh, story about um, Jesus and Maria Dominguez. Jesus and Maria Dominguez were married in the 1930s, and um, right away they began to have children. They were not believers at the time, and after their uh, third child was born, um, somebody invited them to go to church, and the gospel was shared with them. And their fourth child was on the way. And they had only been married a few years, like I said. They were like one child every year. And so they realized, you know what? We, we need to make God the foundation of our home. And so Jesus and Maria uh, went on to have 14 kids. 13 made it out of infancy into adulthood. And um, over the years, Jesus and Maria... Um, lived in homes that really you would say, it's just like today somebody would probably be calling Child Protective Services because it was a two-bedroom house and all these kids living in there. Who knows where they were sleeping, right? One bathroom, actually, let me change that, an outhouse <laughs> and indoor plumbing for washing, 
that kind of thing. And all these kids are going through there. But they were saying, you know what? We are going to build our house on the Lord. We're going to church. We're gonna read the word. When I speak to you, I'm gonna speak about what I believe, what God is telling me that I need to tell you. And then one day, there was a flood that came, and uh, their house, they had to evacuate, and uh, no one was hurt. God was protecting them, just as they had been praying all along, but they lost everything. Everything was gone in the flood. Their home was literally just swept away. And uh, the family regrouped, and uh, they worked together, they went out together. In fact, um, they went through tough times, such as Let's get in the car early in the morning and we're going to drive down to the fields and we're going to go pull beets and make some money that way. And one day while they were doing that, they were in a car accident and one of the sons um, was hurt very severely that um, he was hospitalized for nearly a year and almost lost his leg completely. But they were faithful and they went and they prayed and, and they continued to, to show up to church and to ask God for help. And some of their children along the way got into trouble here and there. The principal called. The principal said, I need for you to come down. We need to talk. And Jesus and Maria continued to just talk to their kids and realize that sometimes their kids did not want to listen. Their kids would shut them out. But they were faithful in praying for each one of their kids over the years. And then they got to the later years in life. From those uh, 13 kids, they had 50 grandkids. And uh, when Jesus and Maria could no longer take care of themselves completely, the kids would show up, the grandkids would show up, always people there at the house. Always people there to talk to grandma and grandpa. And I remember that I would show up sometimes and I would think like, this is the greatest place to be. Um, not everybody was following the Lord as they, as they uh, really should have been because they had been given the gospel. But I remember that as um, my grandparents were going through the final days of their life, that every family member showed up. Every family member showed up. And my grandmother, who passed away first, she declared to everyone, there's only one thing that is important, and it's for me to know that you have heard that our house was built upon the Lord. And um, I was, it was unbelievable that uh, every family member there said, you know, we have heard that. We know that from your life. And uh, many were beginning to realize, I need to turn my life over to the Lord. I need to be about what things are really are important. My grandfather, he lived a few more years, and then um, he um, also had people that were taking care of him all the time, never alone. And um, I remember that uh, I took my family and we uh, went to uh, his uh, funeral service, a memorial service, and when we showed up there, we did not know everybody, because there were family members all together, there were 500 family members. Okay, that's from immediate to the extended family. And there were still several hundred other people that knew them. And as I just kind of made my, my way around the room talking to people that, did not, um, that I did not know, but they knew my grandparents, every one of them would say the same thing to me. Boy, they always talked to me about the Lord. They were always about the Lord. And they loved their kids, and they said they always prayed for their kids. I gotta tell you, when I think about that, it reminds me of the fact that, yeah, there's a lot of hard work that's involved here, but be faithful in it as a parent. As a child, if you're in this room, please remember this, that there are people that are praying for you, your family. Don't be hostile to the word of God as it comes out of the mouths of your parents or grandparents, aunts or uncles, okay? The Lord will reward you. He will give you a great inheritance. Would you bow your heads and let's pray right now. 
Father, we come before you this morning realizing that uh, we have been blessed. I think about this church and the way in which it was established. When we began, we said, this church has to be established purely on God and his word. Not on any one man's work, but on the work that Christ is doing in us. And so, Father, we come before you as broken and wrecked people, people who are struggling, people who have lots of things going on. We don't want to live lives of vanity. We don't want to live lives of just anxious toil. We want to live lives that matter because you are at the center of all that is going on in our lives. Father, I know that there are some things that we're going to have to go home and we're going to have to work on, but I pray that you would give us strength I pray that you would encourage our hearts, that we would reread through Psalm 127 and that we would grow closer to you as we look ahead to the days that are before us. And Father, we look forward to rejoicing, just as it says there at the end of the passage. Father, you have provided for us just an amazing gift in children that can provide strength for us. And so, Father, we ask that uh, we would be uh, the ones that bring you great joy as your children, as you have given us to Christ Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.